Hello and welcome to the 16th podcast, Carrier's Edge podcast, brought to you from Carrier's Edge by me, co-founder of Carrier's Edge, Jane Jazrawi, and me, Mark Morrell, other co-founder of Carrier's Edge. And I can tell right away that you're just back from vacation. I know, because did I... I forgot who we were. <laughs> Forget your own name, your company name. Yeah. And your voice also just kind of trailed off. Uh, do you want me to start again? No. We'll be here all day. <laughs> I just needed a warm up. There you are. You're all warmed right. up now? I am. I'm warmed up. So this is our Happy New Year podcast, I happy suppose. Happy New Year. Well, it kind of was a Happy New Year, but uh, it's been a little sad. Why? Why has it been a little sad? We're off to a good start yes, this year. Yes, this is true. It's sad to be back working. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's sad that vacation comes to an end. Yeah. I was really enjoying not doing anything. Yes. Like literally nothing. We had a fantastic vacation doing nothing. Um, we went multiple days without leaving the house. Uh, I think we had a day or two where we barely left the TV Mm-hmm. And uh, it was great. Caught up on read a, bunch a couple of, of books. Yeah, did some reading. Caught up on some TV. Ate lots, drank lots. It was a fantastic way to just sort of decompress and recharge. And now we're all excited for the new year. Yes, and we've right? actually been at work for what three days? Yeah, Is we've been three? at work for a couple of days. It seems like I don't know thirty days, but it's weird after you've had a really nice, relaxing vacation, and then you come back, and all of a sudden everything is so tiring. <laughs> all the yeah. stuff you were doing before, and it was like just a regular day. Now at five o'clock, I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, you have, le- you have you less energy. Vitamin B or something. That's also part of it. We have uh, winter madness. You know, yes, it's and it's and like cold. minus eighty thousand right now. Yes, so it's a, that's cold. It's as not Mars. that dark. It's quite nice. It's just freezing during the day. Cold. Yeah, yeah, during the four hours a day that you have sunlight, it's it's great. Uh, you if need you to catch take it. vitamin D, Mark. Take more vitamin D. I should take more vitamin D. Mm-hmm. So what are we working on? Well, we got lots of exciting stuff that we're working on. I guess apparently, the, best fleets just ended. Yes. So (laughs) we could be a little bit more enthusiastic. Well, this is the hardest part. So the interviewing is the busiest part of it, for sure. That chaos that came to an end middle of December. And now early January is the hardest part and the most stressful part, which is scoring everybody. And this is the thing that just traumatizes me every year when we do it, because I'm so terrified of missing something or giving somebody the wrong score and have it actually adversely affect the overall results. And even though I double check it and then I leave it and I come back and look at it again later and I have you check it and we check each other's work and all of that other stuff, I'm still terrified of making a mess of it. I know so, you always are. It just and it always works out fine. And we have a system. It's, we have a we system. We trust the system. And the system works. The process works. Uh, but still, and I always at the beginning of this stage that we're at now, we're kind of at the base of the mountain because Mm -hmm. we've got all of these fleets that we've interviewed. We've got all of these answers that have come in from them that we have to look at and score. And it's a long multiple day process applying those scores and then transferring them into the spreadsheet where we put it all together and 
apply our different algorithms to come up with the final scores. So at this point, I look at it and I go, oh, my God, we're never going to get it done. We're never going to get it done in time for the announcement. Is this, is this bother you because you're in charge of the spreadsheet? No, it's just a general, it's the stress of, I don't know. Just the wanting, weight of the world. It's the weight of wanting to get it done, wanting to do it right, wanting to make sure it gets done on time, and all of the other unknowns. I think this is always what uh, weighs on me is if I had nothing else to do but that, that would be fine. I would devote two or three days to it. I would bury myself in it, and everything would be great. But that's not how it works because you've got some fire that pops up or somebody who needs help on something or some new thing that's happening, you get all of these black swans coming along that you're not expecting that make it difficult to stay focused on it. And even if you are focused on it, then you kind of worry about what you're missing while you're you're focused on it. You're dangerously close to complaining. (laughs) I know, and I'm just back from vacation. I know, we haven't even really started all that much. Yeah. You know, all we've done is had a couple of days at work and you're already starting to talk about how much you... But I had a great vacation. Good. Well, apparently you did. I got rested. Oh, I also made some upgrades to my studio, which I'm very happy about. With your... <laughs> With my towels. <laughs> your towels. What, so, what else was the other thing? And your yoga mats. And the yoga mats. Yes. So, um, and I'll share this because this is a great example of, I don't know, life what he hack does or studio hack kind vacation. of thing. Um, that I saw this video on YouTube that just, as soon as I saw it, it totally made perfect sense to me. And it was talking about um, sound isolation and cleaning up the uh, quality of sound in a room. And I, I just, it hit me, they, they were trying a whole bunch of different materials, in, including commercial sound absorption blocks and foam and all of that kind of stuff, which I have in different places. And I'm surrounded place, by right now. Yeah, using them for creating vocal booths and things like that. But in my drum room, I have some of these things and they're sort of uh, mobile. But they had tried a bunch of these things in this video and surprisingly found that the best performance just came from old sheets, or or not sheets, uh, bath towels. And like the terry cloth bath towels and they had the best absorption and the most even spread across the frequency spectrum. And uh, so what they ended up doing, this guy who did this uh, video, at the end of this experiment, he ended up making a bunch of sound absorption and uh, um, studio treatment. Um, they're called gobos. Uh, he made a bunch of those uh, just based on old towels. He went down to his local like thrift shop, bought a bunch of crappy towels. Didn't matter if they had a couple holes or they were worn or whatever. It still worked. And put them in a frame and put a cover on them. And then he had this really nice sounding uh, room. So I thought, wow, that just makes perfect sense because you think about a towel, it's got uh, a little bit of density to it, but it's also somewhat porous. So I went to, went on Amazon and bought like this mountain of medium quality gym towels. Uh, so I've got them now and I'm just about to uh, attach them and hang them up all over the room. And I'm starting to use some of them already and it's working, but uh, it it's, looks pretty funny because you see all of these white gym towels all over the place and they're going to be hanging from uh, little bits of wood that have made a frame from them. And they're also going to be uh, mobile so I can move them around and use them for different things. But yeah, these are the I things. I have towels that, right in front of me on a music you, stand. Behind no. you blocking. Oh, uh, that's right. There yeah, are in towels In the joints of me. the existing uh, baffles. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're working really well. <laughs> 
these are the things I get up to when I don't have any, any work stuff. Uh, well, what about the away. yoga mats? Because you bought some oh, yoga, the yoga mats, mats as too, well. and you stole one of mine. Well, I found uh, another video that just showed up on my YouTube feed was about people building um, drum risers and um, isolation out of uh, tennis balls. So why do you need a drum riser? Well, there's two things. Um, one is a lot of these videos are people that live in apartments. So, and they're, even though they're using electronic kits that are a lot quieter, um, it still has a thud that comes through the floor, still a vibration that goes through the floor. So you put it on a riser and they made these risers out of tennis balls. So you sit the platform on a bunch of tennis balls and it absorbs that vibration. So your neighbors aren't complaining. But the other thing, and, and what's an issue for me, I'm in the basement and I don't have neighbors to deal with, but if you have stuff sitting right on the floor, it absorbs some of the vibration, but it takes away the bottom end. So you lose a lot of the bottom end of the drum set, the thud that makes it really boom the way you want. You lose some of that when it's sitting on the floor. So you raise it up off of the floor on something else and you get more of a full, complete sound out of the instrument. So... Being the good Canadian that I am, instead of using tennis balls, I built my riser on hockey pucks, hmm. which are denser rubber, um, so you don't have the wobble. Um, but in these other videos that I was watching, people also had a layer of yoga mats in there, which is really nice foam, it's sort of squishy, um, but still has a density to it that absorbs a good amount of the vibration, uh, but not in the wrong way. So it's not absorbing the vibration in a negative way, it's just sort of helping it to stay um, centered. Yeah, I, there's a lot of vibration even when you're when you're in the room above your drums. The everything sort of it's not like it shakes, but it sort of has a hum a little <laughs> bit. So, I don't know. It, it it occurs to me that maybe that's not good for the house. Well, I I would not acknowledge it would be bad for the house. It's good for everybody and good <laughs> for good. everything. <laughs> So the other thing is that now as I get older, I play louder and louder as I'm getting older because when you're a drummer, you're constantly berated by people who are telling you to shut up. So you just get conditioned to sort of always be second-guessing yourself or trying to be quieter. You know, If it's neighbors or parents or family members, nobody wants to listen to it. And even when you're in a band, singers don't want to hear it. They're always making faces at you. They don't want to listen to that. And if you're playing at a normal volume, then guitar players are just cranking like mad. So then it just deafens everybody. So you just get conditioned to be quieter and quieter. Uh, but now I've sort of broken out of that mold. We've got a, a space here where I can just go nuts. We got no neighbors around. The kids are used to it. They've, they've listened to it since before they were born. And you, for whatever reason, don't find it objectionable. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that's a plus. <laughs> I can tune most anything out. Yeah. I'm pretty Something's good at wrong that. with you that you actually enjoy I it. I don't care. Well, sometimes <sighs> I wonder if I can sort of figure out the song that you're playing. Mm. And the only one that I seem to ever be able to figure out is uh, that Rush song <laughs> that you play. Um, Tom Sawyer. Yeah, that's a very I identifiable think, part. I think that's what it is. Yeah, but, I do or, play that Or I just, I just keep on hearing it in your drumming. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I hear it. But yeah, know, so for I, a couple I, hours. Yeah, and now I'm getting, I'm getting louder and louder. So the more that I can do to uh, treat the room and uh, improve the overall sound of it, but also keep the sound contained. Well, and also you like recording yourself, so. Yes, I'm always on a quest a to get a, bit, a good quality recording. recording. 
um, which is a challenge. The drums are like the hardest instrument to get a good recording of because there's so many different voices and so many different frequencies and pitches that you have to account for and different volume levels that all have to be captured. So that's sort of my white whale is getting a good quality recording uh, in my own studio without One spending day. any money. <laughs> I also don't want to spend any money on good quality mics and all of that sort of stuff. But you spent lots of money on good quality medium quality gym towels. <laughs> I spent about, it ends it up like being about 40 bucks. It ends up being about four or $5 per towel. So not really a lot. <laughs> They're not the best towels. They are not good quality. But towels. they are definitely something I would get at a gym. Yes. But new. So now we have an updated studio. I've got to exercise a different part of my brain, mm-hmm. uh, doing some studio upgrades and doing some playing and uh, we're back to work. And it's great. You know, December feels like a distant memory, like it was a, such a long time ago, which it is always It goes really, really fast because you're just so like you're, you know, okay, we got to do shopping. We got to do um, interviews, got to schedule this interview, got to do this interview, got to make sure everybody's got their stuff in. And then it's Christmas, New Year's, bang. Yeah. It's, it's well, crazy. Well, adding to that, I was thinking about this before, but there's always some point in December where we, we say, well, you know what? We really need to do X. And we throw some other project on top of that um, instead or in addition to everything else that we're doing. And so last year, I think we did a big overhaul on the website, um, totally rebuilt our website, and we had some big system things that we were working on. And oh, that just I made know it what complica- you're talking Complicated things quite a bit. This year... We realized, or, or sort of looked at it, and in early December, we were like, you know what? We really need to do something for the ELD mandate, and you threw yourself into that. Well, I didn't realize how much it was. Yeah. Because you think EL, ELDs, yeah, that's basically if you, uh, you know, people get taught their particular model, and then that's it, and that's all that has to happen, but... Well, and the regs aren't changing. The rules are still the same. No, but the way that the way that our course was written, it was written to um, really talk about handwritten logs, mm-hmm. or, you know, hand done, you draw the line with your ruler, that kind of thing. Fill it out by hand. And with ELDs, a lot of things are automated and a lot of things will happen automatically. You won't have to actually draw a line with a ruler. Um, so, you know, yes, you, you still need to understand the rules, though. The other thing is that there's a whole bunch of little bits of the rule that need to be added. And so there were two things that I ended up doing because I thought it was just going to be, well, we both of us were saying, ah, it'll just be a couple of pages. And then I went through the course and realized, and went through the regs and realized how much actually had to change. And it wasn't just cause, um, because of new additions, but it was just sort of rewriting everything to say, that it's going to be, you know, these are going to be things that are, that are automatically recorded. This, you have to be able to do this. You have to keep this here. You have to do this. So there's a lot of bits and pieces that have So to even though the happen. rules didn't change, just making a smoother experience for people going through it, more closer to the context of what their day is going to be like. Yeah. I think integrating the rules or not integrating the rules, but integrating the ELD mandate into the, into the course so it, there's a lot of stuff about trip planning that you can is still more is still really important to do when you're using an ELD because you don't want to end up with getting out of hours in the middle of a highway. 
So you do want to have plans for where you're going to stop, where you're going to have your 30-minute break, etc. The other thing is, is the things that you have to keep in your truck. So like all the ELD support materials, like you mm-hmm. have to have your handbook, you have to have something that says how to print out your logs for an officer. You have to, so there's like four things that you have to have. Um, the other thing is what to do if your ELD breaks down. So what I realized when I was looking at this and trying to think about what to change was that everybody still knows how to do paper logs. That yeah. whole course is still valid for that instance where your ELD isn't working anymore, you're back to paper logs. And you can only do this for eight days, I believe, and you can only do it for in a th- one eight-day period out of 30 days. So every 30 days you can do a week's worth of uh, paper logs. But you still need to do it because you need to have a backup and you need to be able to print out that, you know, eight days for law enforcement if they ask for it because they don't really care if your ELD is working or not. You still Mm. have to produce a log. And so that's uh, that was something that really hadn't occurred to me until I went through the regs and went, oh, huh. Alrighty. Yeah, you finally get a chance to look into them in detail and you realize it's different than what you're expecting. The other thing that's really different is the whole um, harassment. Mm. Uh, there's a rule in the U.S. now about being uh, drivers have protection against harassment and coercion. And basically harassment is that you can't be forced to, by your carrier, you can't be forced to change your logs, you know, or to basically lie on your logs. And coercion is basically anybody else beyond your carrier. So someone at a shipper or a customer or any or a receiver or anything like that, if they're trying to get you to cheat on your logs, then you have somewhere to you basically can, can complain. You have to keep a record of all of the the circumstances, so any back paper trail, email or whatever, but you can within thirty days you're it might be 60 days, I can't remember, you basically can call a number or call one of the offices and, and report it. So there's a lot more a lot more protection, I think, for mm. people. And ELDs really are going to be, I think they're going to be an advantage. I know a lot of people are talking about the sky falling and how everything's going to go insane. And, and I don't think it really will. I think there might be a little bit of a period, but I think overall it'll be good for people, good for drivers to be able to say, oh, these are my hours, and carriers can go to shippers and say, these are the hours. You can't mess up with them anymore. Hmm. So that's yeah, quite a bit of, sort of subtle stuff that changes for the driver. The, uh, the interesting point for discussion, I think, and, and I, w- I want your thoughts on this, we didn't make a new course on ELDs which people have asked us for periodically. Do you have a course on ELDs? And, and usually the answer is no, go talk to the vendor. They've got courses. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like there is stuff that changed in the regulation that maybe could have been kind of its own course on the ELD mandate. But we decided not to do that this time. Why was that? Well, at first, I'm kind of going back on that. I may put together a quick course on the ELD mandate. Hmm. I know I'm just telling you this right now. Um, and it's it's mostly because I started thinking that right now, everybody who needs training on the ELD, on ELDs, 
is probably not going to be looking at um, hours of service training right now. And so what I wanted to do is make sure that the hours of service course was updated and integrated with all of the ELD information that was potentially going to change it. I also took the opportunity to reorganize the course a little bit so it made a little bit more sense. But I think that it will be useful, and I'm thinking about trying to do this in the next couple of weeks, is have, like, just grab some of the major uh, changes with ELDs and just put it in, like, a 10-page update. Just for people who don't necessarily need to use an ELD, like, who already know how to use the ELD, but may need a refresher in the rules around ELDs. Hmm. So I may put to, I may just put that together. I don't think I'm just going to take from existing material. Now, with the way we build courses, we can put together something like that from existing content yeah. pretty quickly. But it kind of opens up a another you know, point of discussion about the difference between when there's a regulatory change and you just update your existing course versus creating a course specifically about a change and within the e-learning world, those are sort of known as delta courses because you talk about the delta from point A to point B and that's all you focus on. And in when you're doing software training, you do those lots of, uh, lots of courses that are based on that. So here's a new version of the software. Here's the courses just about the things that are new right. and the specific changes. And we did that one time, I think it was with the, the last major change to the U.S. hours of service. Right. We did was, a course on that. It was the 30-minute break and the two-night requirement when that Yeah, those kind of things, when those three main things uh, came out there, two of which have subsequently been reverted. Yes. Uh, so Fun that, times for me. But that's always the challenge with you know, planning courses is do you do a course like that? Are the changes significant enough that everybody needs them, even if they just did the course before, they just need to know what's new? Uh, or is it something that can be handled by just incorporating the the changes into the existing course? And the challenge with doing a Delta course is that it always has a really short shelf life. Yeah. It's only for the people that just got the training on the root content before and need to know the new additions. So they tend to be very short, and they don't last for very long. Like that one that we did, I think it was the 2013 HOS update or something like that it was called. Well, that course is offline because it's pointless now. Um, they're always good for maybe a year, and that's about it. Um, so it's always a, a challenge to know whether or not to do one. And this one, this is a good example of that. There's some new stuff that could warrant that, uh, warrant having a course on it. But what's the shelf life going to be? Maybe a year. Well, that's why I haven't done it. It was more important um, for us to have it integrated into the regular hours of service course. Right. That hours of service course is, I would say, is mostly used at in an orientation the setting. The full course. Yeah. yeah. So they would be using the full course. The other thing is that I wanted to beef up the planning part of it. Hmm. And so that's happened so people can can use just the first topic as a sort of brush up on trap uh, on planning. There's a couple of good uh, modules that we have now on planning, and one of them is the hours of service one. The other one is um, our new your new trip planning and parking course. The part, yeah, yeah, planning parking and uh, avoiding accidents, basically. Yeah, and I think it makes sense to revisit the hours of service lesson structure in the context of those other courses so that it, they all fit together nicer. 
because a lot of the use of the hours of service stuff is those refresher modules being mm-hmm. done on a sort of ongoing proactive basis. And now if you've updated that to be sort of better aligned with your parking lot course, with your trip planning course, um, then they all fit together more nicely, I would say. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a bit more of a focus on so the parking course. The planning part of it is planning where you're going to stop so that you avoid accidents. Mm-hmm. But in the planning for hours of service, you're more thinking, how, how are you going to plan your planning time? Planning your schedule. Yeah. So there's different But you could do both of, of those refreshers as part of a monthly or quarterly uh, training for people. Mm-hmm. And it would be a nice sort of review of things to consider when planning. So you had to plan your schedule and your day, but also think about where you're going to be stopping and parking, which fits into planning your day as well. Uh, when to leave, where you're going to stop, all of that sort of thing. Yeah, the main the main message, I think, for both of those planning modules is think about it before you go. Yeah, Well, it's, it's like don't do it on the road. You know, take a look at your map or your um, whatever your navigator is, your, uh, your whatever software you're using for planning. Use Google Street View to take a look at the um, the actual location that you're going to, see so see where the entrances are. Make sure that you're planning. You're not going to just basically drive till you run out of gas and then stop. <laughs> um, think about where you're going to stop. Will that fit in with your 30-minute break? Will that fit in with, you know, when you want to stop for lunch? And best practices around what time of day is, is good to stop. Yeah, and generally... I think that's going to really, really depend on the individual is, is when they, when their day starts. Yeah. But if, you know, if you're going to stop at a, at a, you know, a big, uh, what do you call it? A big truck stop at dinner time, mm-hmm. then you're probably much more likely to get into an accident or be delayed or whatever. If you can because, even find parking. Well, that's the thing is that it's super busy. So there are ways to get around getting trapped in that kind of a situation, you know, parking way far away and walking is probably the best one. That's what I keep seeing in my research is like, you know, just park far away, just park far away, just park far away, Mm -hmm. stay away from everybody. You know, no one will hit you if you're out in the boondocks and just make sure that you're still thinking about security as well. And all at the same time that I'm doing that, I got a message from the uh, um a gentleman who's doing some research about uh truck parking in Ontario and apparently there's quite a shortage of truck parking in Ontario uh a shortage everywhere yeah, well in Ontario they redid all of those mm-hmm. um what do we call the on routes is what they're called yeah the service centers yeah but remember when they were all revamping them and there was nowhere to stop and i think it's still i mean it's better but i don't think for tractor trailers it's not that great hmm. so at the same time as we were doing all of our best fleet surveys we were um this gentleman who's doing this truck parking in Ontario survey is asking me to, you know, ask drivers to do more surveys, which <laughs> made me feel a bit bad. It's like, how many surveys can I ask people to do? I mean, drivers could just spend a week just doing all the surveys that they, you know, people want them to do. But this one's important because if if you can get enough people to talk about the problems of parking um, in a certain location, 
Mm-hmm. You know, the more that the government is going to look at it and think about the infrastructure that they need when they're planning. Yeah. So especially in the states, that's uh, with their whole infrastructure push. Mm-hmm. If it happens, then uh, that will be one That'll of the things that, sure. that carriers are going to really want. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. Okay. And so in the course world now, uh, we're working through more inspection. language. Yeah, yeah. Spanish vehicle inspection is... Uh, in progress. Yes. Coming in the next week or two. Yes. Very good. And then after that, I'm going to probably uh, get this little little hours of service thing. I'll probably think about it a little bit more and either put it together or not put it together, but I probably will. <laughs> and I may find out about it after it goes live. Yeah. Well, I was going to talk to you about it earlier, sure. but you were busy. <laughs> <laughs> and you just had the thought. I just had it. Yeah. I also am uh, thinking about a, um, I don't know, I guess I could call it behavior in the workplace. So A harassment course. Yeah, violence, harassment, uh, general misbehavior, that kind of thing. So, and and maybe I can just combine it with some looking like how to be a professional as well. And basically a how to treat people course. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm going to call it, but I uh, want to start working on that too. Well, we've had that on our course list for a while now. Something that covers... Um, there's different jurisdictions that have required training in different things, anti-violence courses or discrimination, harassment, and you could all put those together into one thing and and build it so that it covered all of those requirements. Mm -hmm. And it's all good information for everybody to to Mm -hmm. know. And uh, certainly we see going through the best fleets that some people have great programs in that area and some of them really don't do much of anything other than say yeah we have a policy against it and that's about it so there's a real opportunity there um certainly something that people could benefit from and there's not a lot out i mean there is there is courses that are available sort of in the general course libraries outside of trucking but i don't see very many people doing very much training in that area so it's definitely an area that could benefit from having something more built there's I think, and we had this with the fire safety courses, that yes, there are general fire safety courses, but they're not talking about fire safety in the truck. Yeah. They're talking about fire safety in a building. So Yeah, well, office kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's the same thing with this, I'm going to just call it generic harassment course, because it's going to be on the road as well as... Mm-hmm. in a terminal or at a customer or mm-hmm. whatever because and also how you know how you address um customers how you address law enforcement mm-hmm. that kind of thing and you know there's i think that once people have a good understanding of the basic I don't want to say rules, but there are certain boundaries that you just don't want to go over. Yeah. Just to keep yourself safe. And to try and keep your coworkers safe, that kind of thing. And we talk about it so much in Best Fleets that it's really not a good idea for us not to have a course on it. Yeah. I mean, we obviously have an idea of of what good programs include. And if those good programs include anti-harassment training, then we should probably do that too. Yeah, it's one of those things where we need to practice what we preach. And if yeah. we're going to ask people what their programs are, then we should be providing something like that in our library. So. Mm-hmm. 
that will be uh, that'll be a good addition. Well, especially because of the uh, everything going on now. <laughs> <laughs> the timing going, is good. It is good timing to have a course like that. So mm-hmm. I could probably write it without even doing any research. <laughs> yeah, I think you could just write I, it. I've just lived it. Yeah. <laughs> Can so you maybe good. not do this? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's good. That'll be a, a good addition as well. Yeah, was there anything that you wanted me to put on the list before that? No, I think that's the sort of the running order of course requests that I have. That's kind of, um, that's the uh, progression that I expected. Um, more Spanish, uh, definitely, request for that. Um, oh, the other one is a U.S. version of the forklift course. Ah, uh, Yes. But I don't think that's going to be a, a hard job. I don't think it's going to be all that different from the Canadian version, except yeah. for maybe some well, we have conversion to from meters to feet. Well, we'll have to see. I mean, maybe it's largely the same like uh, some of the other titles, or it may be like Hazmat, where it's completely different. It's a ground-up I can't. I cannot see how... It, like, Hazmat's different. The, there are different systems. There's different rules. Um, but in terms of forklifts i mean they're the same i don't know like there might be they operate the same way so Mm -hmm. it will be interesting once i take a look at it to see what the differences are but i'm pretty sure that that there's not going to be a huge amount Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. okay very good well on the uh the lms side of things uh i've been working on interface stuff i know and you told me that you're throwing everything out. Well, I'm going through a process. <laughs> so, I just cut to the chase. You're tossing yeah. a bunch of stuff out. <laughs> yeah. Well, this kind of happens. You have to go through a refresh periodically. And uh, I've uh, I hired somebody to do a new icon set in the fall. And that process is nearing completion. So we're getting to have a, we'll Poor have a, woman. a new set of icons. Um, and they look fantastic. She doesn't great stuff and it's things that i never would have thought of uh some of the the metaphors uh, are very different than what i would have come up with but they're immediately obvious and they make perfect sense so i really like the direction that she's gone um but it's tricky uh when you get you know into that kind of work because the interface isn't just a set of icons there's a lot more to it you've got to choose your colors Mm -hmm. and how those colors work together and balance things and uh you start digging into it and there's a lot in there. Um, so you think about, you know, it, people think it's very easy. You just go find your template, pick your icon set and you're done, or you've got your colors, you pick two colors and, and then you, that's it. But it's, there's a lot more to it than that. So when we did our last interface overhaul in the system, I think it was 2014 when it finally went live. Um, but it changed dramatically and it was all based on how people use the system. So it's this kind of form follows function thing where you've got to figure out what the workflow needs to look like and what makes sense for the users that are going through and doing things and how to provide them the information that they're going to need in a way that's going to be um, obvious and useful and memorable for them. So we went through that exercise and sort of built all of the workflow to, to work 
and it generally does work really well. We've added a whole ton of features into things since then. So some of the forms get it to be a little bit long because there's a lot of different options in there, new functionality and things like that. But that's where you start getting to a point where you've got to come back on the design and think, okay, are these colors doing what I need them to do? Are they highlighting the areas I need to highlight? Is uh, the font working? Is it the right size? And is the spacing correct? Uh, or does it just look like a jumble of text and it's too hard for your eye to find certain things? So that's what I was going through the last couple of days is sort of chucking everything out, um, you know, removing all the assumptions about colors and font size and how we uh, have different pieces together. Um, should things be underlined? Should they not be underlined? When you mouse over something, should it be highlighted? Uh, should that highlight be the whole row or is it just the thing you're mousing over? What's going to make it easy for people and um, be very quick? So I've gone through the point of sort of ripping everything apart and now I'm in the slow process of putting it back together. And a lot of times you go through this, you rip it apart and you put it back together and what you find is you're not very far off of where you were before, which is fine because that kind of validates the original decisions, but also those subtle changes can make a big difference on efficiency for people. Mm-hmm. So. And also, as time goes on, design uh, templates tend to change. So before, there was a lot of 3D-looking things. Oh, now yeah. things have gotten flatter. Photorealistic type stuff. Yeah. And there's a lot of different fashion. Well, that's something uh, that you have to consider as well, because even though very few people do administrative work in our system through a mobile device, that's sort of the language that everybody is seeing. Everybody is looking at a mobile device for web browsing and mail and doing other apps through there. So that needs to be considered. Um, and ultimately, we will have a mobile app for administration as well. Um, we're in the process of rebuilding our mobile app for, for drivers to go through. So we'll be doing some other things on top of that later on. But you have to consider that as well. What's going to work? You know, you can have these beautiful icons that look fantastic when they're 200 pixels, but you never use them at that size. You only ever use them or most of the time you're using them 30 pixels. Yeah, so having these beautiful, uh, with all these gorgeous gradients of color and things like that, and and all of these details, like, yeah, but, you know, you make it 50 by 50, and it looks like a blob. Yeah, they just look like a colored blur. Yeah. Or a smear of something. So that's, and designers have this awful uh, habit of designing in these huge, palettes or not huge huge canvases and it's like no yeah can you look at it 50 by 50 see not so good yeah so you you have made this designer's life a living hell she bit on the job (laughs) i posted the the project on uh, upwork which is a a platform where you can go find freelancers and uh, i said here's what we need and here's the budget um yeah and i just guessed at a budget and um, had a bunch of people that applied, sent uh, copies of their portfolio and sample work and things like that. And this one uh, particular freelancer, a younger woman uh, in, in Ukraine. On the Ukraine, yeah. And uh, she's like, what? Why do you want to spend all that much money? You could do that, but why? I can do it for way less and it, you know, it'll be half that price or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, I like your attitude. I like that somebody who's going to speak up and say something. And if you can do it cheaper, sure. 
I don't need to spend all that. I'm happy to spend less. I think she's regretting that now. <laughs> I think we should offer to pay her more. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to pay her what I originally had budgeted for it. Yeah. Because and she may not it. ever say that again. <laughs> if someone says that their budget is this, they have a reason. Well, it's funny because this project has been going on for probably, I'm going to say three or four months now. Mm-hmm. And when it started, you know, I looked at this person and she had this profile on on the site and she had a picture. And she had this picture was kind of, it very much looked like a picture of an artist. You know, you could tell that she was an artist just by the type and placement of the scarf on her picture (laughs) and her haircut and everything. But she's changed her picture several times since then. And each picture has become progressively more harsh and austere. And uh, now the picture that's up there looks like it's scowling at you the whole time. That was probably, this is particularly for you. I have been responsible for her. I offered to pay her more, and I have said, you know, the last couple of exchanges I've said, like, don't do a whole new set of icons. Just do two or three. I, I know you're putting a ton of work into this, more than what you expected, and so just give me exactly the specific things I'm asking for, and we'll expedite this. And she responded and said, no, it's fine. You give it great feedback. It makes it really easy for me, so it hasn't been an issue. All right. Okay. That's the worst thing to say to me. <laughs> I know, because I have done design with you. And, oh, my God, you make me crazy. I know what I don't you like. You are, well, yeah, you have absolutely no, and I think part of the reason that she thinks it's easy is because you get me to look at it, and I will tell you specific things to change. And, um, and then you can basically go and tell her. But when it's you and I doing the design, I often lose my temper because you're like... Often? I mean, there's times when you haven't. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's just so frustrating because you don't really tell me what to change. You just sort of say, well, it looks like this. And And you think, okay, what do you want it to look like? Well, I want it to look like this abstract thing. And you think, okay, but, you know, what line do you want me to change? You know, what do you want me to, you know. The vibe is wrong. Yeah, that makes me nuts. Like, because I like it. I'm like, what's wrong with it? And he's like, well, I was going after this feeling, this emotion. Isn't that what all designers want as feedback? No. Designers, you know, you tend to, well, for me, uh, when I do design work, I don't want to say I'm a designer, but I do design work. Yeah. What I do is I put a lot of effort into the first one. Yes. Or I'll give you, I'll put a lot of effort into giving you three options. Mm-hmm. I try to do options, sort of say, do you like this direction, this direction, or this direction? And from there, really all you want are specific changes. <laughs> Not the, I want it to be happy. <laughs> I want it to be more blue. It's too melancholy. <laughs> Yeah, and you're like, okay, come on, you don't. What is it that you don't like? So, I know how to interpret that now. I I think I get mad at you less, or maybe I just do design work without your input a lot more. Yeah, that's what's happened. I, I just that's... don't come to you very often, and I don't really do the LMS stuff at all. No. So that design work is all you. It's not me. Well, Marketing and and yeah, the stuff that looks good is yours. Yeah, that's my stuff. Yeah. So I definitely realized that I am, well, I never proclaimed to be an icon designer. I hate that work. So Can I, I also say, let me just say, 
that I had to teach you how to take proper photographs. <laughs> and we were laughing because <laughs> we're looking online at all of, you know, one of these posts about photograph fails where, or you get someone to take a picture for you and, and how those pictures fail when you're on vacation or something. And one of the pictures that was a fail was of the, it was mostly sky. Well, it was supposed to be a family picture. Yeah. And uh, it was with some landmark or scenery as a backdrop. But all it, you could see at the, at the bottom was like the top half of their heads <laughs> and, <laughs> and a bit sky. of city, and half of it was just sky. And so, Mark, for the longest time, until I re-educated him, decided or had this in his head that he had to have all of the people in the picture exactly at the halfway mark. Like, so your head would have to be at the halfway point. Centered. Yeah. <laughs> Which is terrible. It was symmetrical. <laughs> and this is what he's like with design. So he wants to have everything... He always wants to have everything aligned sort of in the center. So... You know, you have, I like to look at it more in thirds, so I'll have things at the top half or the bottom half rather than right in the center, but it's like Mark has to be in the center, always in the center, and I'm like constantly telling you, can you just move it up 10 pixels? Well, I liked it, and you never gave me great feedback on it. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't know what specific thing to change. Can can you move it up 10 pixels is not specific enough for you? You just, your answer to that is, but it's not exactly in the center, or it's not exactly aligned. All these things that are off-center and out of balance. No, 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 but now you take much better picture because the sky is not the focal point which is unless the sky is the focal point your picture your people should be much closer to the top yeah this is why i shouldn't pick icons and colors for my lms i can build the workflow i can lay out the forms and make it very simple for people to get around and have good spacing and all of that kind of stuff. But the colors and icons need to be given to somebody who actually knows how to do that. Well, that's what I think, because this designer is really good. I think you should give her the LMS too. And I mean, I would do the LMS, although I'm not good at that kind of design. I'm not good at system design. I'm much better at marketing, graphic art, more that kind of design. So Mm -hmm. I would be much happier to have somebody who, who does website design to do that. Yeah. Well, We'll see where it goes. I'm coming to the end of this project, so I'm thinking that by end of January that will be done and out, and uh, that will be exciting. It's fresh. You go in there and look at the thing all the time, and all the little things start to annoy you more and more and more. Every time I log into my LMS, I, I hate it. I, I think that's what it. happens to, happened to Steve Jobs. I think he would just look at his stuff over and over and go, okay, I hate it now. <laughs> and then he'd, who's the, his designer? Um, uh, Ivy? Ivy. On Ive, Johnny Ive. And I imagine that the two of them yelled at each other. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, well, you're the same way with your courses. Every time you go into one of your courses, you want to change it. the whole yeah. thing. And I did. I was very happy that I finally got hours of service yeah, in a I, state where... I was distracted with something else, and you kind of went in and did it. Yeah, I, I did. That's kind of what I have to do, or else you'll say, no, only spend... 45 minutes on this and I'll be like no but I need four days no I need to completely rebuild the course because I don't like this page yeah (laughs) (laughs) if you got a problem with that have I not made that clear (laughs) (laughs) isn't that didn't you know that when you signed up for this Uh, well (laughs) when we signed up for this (laughs) 
e-learning didn't really exist. True. So, uh, yes. On that note. Perhaps we digress. I think we always digress. Yes. Which is another conversation about digression Mm -hmm. and how much you hate it and how much I love it. That's why I don't have any real formal agenda for these podcasts. I just have like two or three things to touch on. And as long as we check those boxes, the rest of the hour doesn't much matter. Yep. So you've got lots of latitude to go off on whatever tangent you want. So, or sometimes you just run out of things to say and stop. That's kind of what is happening now. (laughs) Well, I am now running out of things to say. So on your schedule for the next few weeks, you've got Espanol, Espanol, Spanish Probably. vehicle inspection and a new course that you're working on. I've got finishing up this LMS to do. We um, have some new partners coming on board that I need to get set up and we'll have to do some press around them. I've got some writing to do. I seem to have a, always a mountain of writing to do these days with different articles and things. So I've got to catch up on that. And then we have do the, some hiring. Oh, yes. Yeah. The exciting and frustrating thing as well, because we are hiring. We've got some postings out. Uh, for a full stack developer that uh, I need. We need to to get some more help in that area. And you're going to be posting an instructional designer position. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I like hiring new people. I like the excitement of going through that process. But before you get to that point, when you have to look through all the resumes that come in, oh, it drives me crazy. (laughs) So we post this position and all our developer positions, um, we generally post on Craigslist. I've tried a whole bunch of different um, places for posting jobs and we always end up getting the best people through Craigslist for whatever reason. So, all right, it's also the cheapest, so it's not so bad, but we post these positions and there's a checkbox that says telecommuting. Okay. On the, on when you put the thing together. So we check that because it's really, they're primarily remote positions. Um, but I also say, um, in the, in the job description that people have to reside in Canada. I mean, you can work from wherever, but we do need to get together in the office periodically. And I don't want to deal with the hassle of trying to pay somebody who lives in another country. So must reside in Canada. Do you think that stops anybody? Man, the amount of people that we get that are sending in applications from all over the U S from Europe, uh, from India, Philippines, and, I can pretty much tell because I like I check my mail in the morning, first thing in the morning, and I've had like 10 of these things come in overnight. Most of them are coming from India, Bangladesh, and the Philippines. So obviously they're not going to be sharp developers because they can't even read a bullet point that says must reside in Canada. They apply anyway. So I just delete them. And the first one or two are funny, but after that it just drives me crazy. I'm like, I want to reply to them and say, are you stupid? No, I think people, I think they're just throwing out applications. Yeah, they just go for it anyway. Well, yeah, but I've got to sit there and read through these things and check. Is there a way that you can put that at the beginning of the post? Somebody had suggested we put that right in the title. Mm -hmm. But I thought about that and then I realized I don't want to do that. I want to put that down near the bottom. It's in the requirements um, for the position and it's listed there. And it's kind of like the infamous story of the brown M&M's. Um, you know, Van Halen had that thing in their contract that they wanted a bowl of M&Ms with all the brown ones removed. And people thought, oh, they're being so pretentious, they're being rock stars, they're just being jerks. But the reality was it was a very quick way for them to tell whether someone had actually read through their contract rider and dealt with all of the things that came above it. So this is kind of my version of that, that if somebody gets to that part 
and is actually in Canada, well, then they've read the rest of the thing. But if they apply anyway, then they either haven't bothered to read the thing, they're just applying to anything that is a remote match, uh, or they're not paying very much attention to it, or they're just going for it anyway. And all of those people aren't going to fit with us. They're not the developers I want. So it's kind of like a test to see how much you're paying attention. Uh, and if you're really close, if you really have a shot at being a fit for it. So I've left it in there, uh, left it in the position where it is, which is down near the bottom of the, uh, the list of requirements and, uh, you know, people that, uh, people that read through it and fit get considered. So really it's irritating for you, but you're also not going to change it. So Correct. I That's want the what world you to get. change. Oh, you want people, only people who, who are qualified for a job to apply to it? Yes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I shouldn't hold my breath waiting for that. You are a delicate flower, my friend. I am. You are. I make no bones about that. But yeah. I, I do often you know, contemplate and imagine in my head that I reply to these people and ream them out for the stupidity of applying to a job. The, well, the other thing is some of them have none of the skills that are listed there. They don't, they don't have any experience in the language. PHP. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. They're PHP Somebody developers. Somebody is pumping out PHP developers with no regard. And nowhere in our position does it say, our posting does it say that we even use PHP. We do, but I'm not asking because anybody can program php well that's the whole point is anybody can program yeah. php we're not looking for that so they have no experience with java they they can't write any javascript or html by hand and yet that's exactly what the post is or i get a bunch of people that are all microsoft stack so they want to do c sharp and asp.net and all of that well we don't do any of that our posting is completely different so they drive me crazy with this applying for these things so as soon as i see it i just delete them but what's frustrating is some of these people that are offshore don't put their address. So they won't put where they're living. So they, they won't give you an email address. They won't give you, normally when you send a resume, you have your address and phone mm -hmm. number and stuff. No phone number, just a Skype address, a Skype account, and that's it. And a whole bunch of websites that they've built or other applications and things. So I can always tell the ones in India because at the bottom of the resume, they list not only their full name, their father's full name, their date of birth, and their religion. I'm like, don't tell me that. That's not my business. But that's common. I guess that's considered standard etiquette um, for, I don't know, the Indian job market or something, because I see a lot of that. You know, Interesting. I've never, well, I, you know, I don't get a lot. I don't really pay attention to uh, e-learning houses outside of Canada because I'm not interested in offshore. But um, my issue with instructional designers is that most, I would say 99% of all instructional designers write a course, write, sorry, not a course, write, course a course, write a course and then they're done. That's yeah. it. And our courses live yeah. a long, long life. So this whole updating and translating and, and all of that and corrections and knowing the rules and all of that stuff, a lot of people have had no absolutely no experience with they may have been instructional designers for 20 years but they will have never built a course that they have had to go back to and update and that makes translate. a big difference because it's all about the process so you've got to have organized files you've got to have your pieces set up in such a way that you can go back to it two years mm -hmm. later and figure out what you were doing and why 
you know, the naming conventions, even like going down to the naming of specific images and sounds and things on specific pages, you have a hugely refined process for keeping track of all of that and organizing it and folder structures and all of that. And people come in and they think you're crazy. You're just way too uptight for no good reason. But Mm -hmm. there's method to that madness because you're going to have to go back to this thing. You know, some of these courses are 10 years old and we keep updating them and having to refresh them so it needs to be organized. Hours of, seven, uh, hours of service, I think we updated in 2007. And 2011. No, but we updated it in 2007. Yeah. So it's more than 10, the update was more than 10 years old. So I don't know, we must have started in 2006 or 2005. Yeah, 2005 it was originally built. Yeah. So that needs to happen. The other thing that's always a struggle with instructional designers is they can't do research. Yeah. They're used to projects, usually with banks and insurance companies and things like that, where somebody will dump a pile of content on them and say, here it is, build your course. Mm-hmm. And that's not that difficult for them to organize that material, prioritize it, figure out what should go first and all of that, and then build the instruction around it. But our courses don't work like that. And, and if you're building no. content and trucking, that's not how it works. No. You need to be able to do the research because customers are just going to say, I need a course on this. You know, people would say, give me a course on fuel. Well, okay. it's not just that. I mean, when I did the parking course, I found so many different pieces of information from so many different places. And then I was trying to figure out what was true and what was not true. And um, even the words, the terminology that's used, you have to kind of try and figure out what what it means and if there's different words that different places use and that kind of thing. It's, uh, there's a lot that goes into it. And I just, I'm trying to think of, do I want to try and get some who, someone who's more of a researcher? Apparently there was a lot of uh, journalists who were, who were relieved of their jobs around here um, when a uh, newspaper group folded up shop or sold or did something. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if a journalist might actually be uh, a more better for on the research part of it. Because well, they'd certainly be able to do the research and write a story in a cohesive way that has a logical flow to it, mm-hmm. which is a lot of how your courses are structured is there's really a story to it. So there's something there, but yeah. are they going to have the visual element? Instructional designers... I'd say... They often don't have that visual either. No, they think that somebody else should be doing that. So they just assume that, you know, they can't do pictures, they're not good at pictures, and that's not not my job as an instructional designer. So um, being an instructional designer who can also do graphics and also do audio and, like, basic and animation... Audio is another part of it, too. And animation, like any sort of video, any, any of that... You know, just getting an instructional designer who refuses to do anything else is frustrating. Yes. And then you have the graphics people who don't want to <laughs> use any organizational method. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, yeah. So I, it's weird because, like, our company doesn't get categorized very easily like people don't really know where to put it we're not a school mm-hmm. we're not well we're software but we're educational software but we're, we don't fit into the other educational models 
it's the same thing with instructional design. Like the courses that we do, they're library courses, but they get updated all the time. So you have to be up on the regs. You have to know where to look for things. You have to be familiar with these things. And you have to be willing to do that work. It's really nitty, mm-hmm. you know, itsy bitsy, creepy work sometimes. And so the next version of hours of service, which I'm going to anticipate is going to be the Canadian ELD, yeah. is uh, hopefully the next one that comes. So it's not going to be any of Somebody this. Somebody else can do that. We'll yeah. Have. So the uh, the hunt will continue for proper instructional designers, mm-hmm. for proper course developer people. But it sounds like just listening to you uh, go through that, sounds like we're getting close to a job description. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> which, I, which I owe you. Well, we've definitely got some requirements, got some things that are nice to have, and we can wrap that up so we can get that thing finished mm-hmm. and get that job posted soon. And maybe the next time that we do this podcast, we will uh, have a job posting out there and have some candidates coming in. And you can have the fun of filtering through all of these unqualified applicants. Yeah. You hear that excitement in Jane's voice? (laughs) She's so looking forward to that. And with that, I think we can probably wrap it up. I think we come to an end for another edition of the podcast. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. 